Assuming Pastor Jeff needs no introduction since he spoke here for 15 years. Oh, you have a name tag. Good. Maybe we should pray for him before he comes up. And I'll let him. All right, let's pray really quick. So, Father, we just pray that you bless Jeff as he shares this word with us and that we would hear from you, that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys. I didn't actually put this name tag on. Kevin Breeding snuck it on me, but if you don't know who I am, my name is Jeff. I used to work here before I was summarily dismissed and sent into the nations. And uh, uh, it's, it, this is our home. This, I, there is it's something about, um, well, I mean, the Lord deeply cares about land and place, but it, for me, is much more the people. And what really sets my heart, you know, aflame is not just the deep and abiding relationships that I have with so many of you as I look out, but the number of faces when I look out here now, I have no idea who you are. That's a sign of health. And praise Jesus that you're making your way in here. I pray that you'll stay after today. Uh, I remember in the early days of this church, the very early days, I was thinking a couple of thoughts. I was thinking when these kids were up here dancing of a young Carrie Wages leading a VBS like a cheer, as a cheerleader. Do you still remember that dance? I was wondering if you could come up and do that. <laughs> well, she still looks young. She looks the same, but she was. I got news for you, Brian. I also remember in those days, uh, this is how things go full circle, how much in the early days when I was the, you know, the pastor and Brian was the worship leader and how he's so, so prophetic, right? You know that about him. The Lord speaks to him in such deep ways, particularly in the context of worship. But I remember when he would begin to feel something and begin to speak, how I would be concerned about what he might be, read, be saying and, and, and maybe asking the Lord, it wasn't tongues necessarily, but I was saying, okay, Lord, you're going to have to give me discernment of how to interpret what he's saying so that this will hit. You know, early days, and Brian would go, hey, I hope that, I was like, no, no, it's fine. This works perfect with my message. This is how it goes full circle. Brian, I think last night, was it, or the night before? I think it was yesterday we were at your house. It's like I was, days are blurs. He said, so tell me what you're preaching more. Like, you're not going to, like, take people's shoes or anything, are you? He was just checking in with me to make sure. He was a little concerned about my message. So uh, the, the, he's become the father. This is what happens. Happy Father's Day. There's a whole lot of really wonderful fathers here in the house. Just to know, uh, just to let you off the hook so that you don't have to worry about me doing anything crazy to you, um, that this message is really intended only for fathers and for the children of fathers. You let that one sink in. It's my first dad joke, Andy. I hope that one counts. <laughs> Somebody said to me, oh, you're going to be graded on the number of dad jokes. And I, this is the kind of message that doesn't really give its way well to dad jokes, but that's the best I could work in, Andy. That's short, clean, and not so funny. Let's pray. I'll spend just 30 seconds after that. I'll just give you an update on what, I, what my life looks like because it doesn't really matter, but just some context, and then we'll dive into the Word together. If you have your Bible with you, 
or some electronic version thereof, Joshua chapter 3. Father, enlighten your word. Just open it up. Make it real to us. We don't worship words on a page. We're not bibliophiles. We don't love pen and ink and page. We love your word because it's alive. It's living and it's active. And it has the capability, if we'll open our hearts, to separate the stuff in our lives left and right. Wheat from chaff, sheep from goats, life from death. This is the power and the authority of your word. And if we would incline our hearts in these moments to your word, I believe in the depths of my heart, this is exactly the sort of business that you desire to transact. There's not a person in this room that couldn't be moved on this scale. Sanctification, consecration, devotion, couldn't be moved to a place of greater depth, greater intimacy. Some of us, Lord, are so far from you, we would say, we'd have to say that we don't know you. For that one or many, today could be the day of salvation. For others of us who've known you a long, long time, we've become all too familiar with the things that are sacred. We handle them as though they're common. And we ask, Lord, that you would look at each one of us, not as young men and old men and boys and girls and everything in between, but you would look at us as individuals who collectively form a family <clears throat> and that you would speak to us as you spoke into the culture that you chose out of all those in the world. You spoke to them as family. Not a whole lot of individualism. You would bring our hearts together into a single place and take us where you want to take us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So I spend a lot of time uh, traveling. It's really, uh, I tell people my house is in Wilmore, Kentucky, but uh, I travel quite a lot. Um, I love what I do. I, I literally feel like everywhere I go, I'm, I, it's like I'm on vacation there. I don't feel like, I mean, there are times I have to do difficult things in difficult places, and I go to some really crazy places, but I really feel like my life is one of like, man, I get to be here doing this. And it doesn't mean I didn't love what I got to do here, but you know when your heart's alive and you're living in a place of doing the things that God is, 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 is asking or mandating that you do, what that feels like. You feel the wind in your sail. You feel the will of God you know, pushing you and propelling you, and that's what I get to do. I tell people that I... I say I'm a global pastor or that I have the joy of pastoring hundreds of churches, essentially, you know, in very small forms, you know, sometimes a family or two that are working together in a very difficult place, uh, very dark places where they need encouragement. Do you know that if there's any provision at all made for the flesh, anything can happen? And um, you see that all the time. And I have job security because I will tell you this, unto the return of the Lord... People who are serving in very difficult places are under extreme pressure, steroidal pressure, even compared to the pressure that you feel 
on a daily basis because of the difficulties of living in a different culture where the language is different and everything else is different. And if you don't believe me, hang out with, go, go take like Stephen, Mary Ann Lewis to lunch and ask them about their life, you know, in a place they love living, but also the challenges of living in a place where, it, where it's not all straightforward. And so I spend a lot of time working through those sorts of issues, issues strategically and spiritually with people. Um, Carol and I are thrilled to be part of this church still. We don't really have a church home beyond this one. Um, and uh, partly because we, you know, I travel so much and partly because our hearts are knit here. And so we're very, very thankful uh, for you guys. We, we, we love this place. Love the work that, that Brian and Carrie are doing. I believe very deeply that this is uh, the right people at the right time. Here, I love the leadership of this church as well, and um, you're in good hands. Okay, so let me let me dive into the word and tell you this. If you haven't heard, um, I feel like the Lord gives me a word. I, I feel like this. I felt like this my whole spiritual life. That kind of years are broken up into like a, a word or a theme or a verse or something like that that the Lord will lay on my heart. And the one that. I have in my heart for this year didn't come to me in some sort of December 31st, New Year's Eve revelation. It really came to me from the outside in because of the town that I live in and because of what happened in my town earlier this year where there was an outpouring of, of God's presence on the campus of Asbury University. A number of people from your church, including your pastors, came up and, and experienced for themselves what God was doing. It was deemed as being unremarkably remarkable or remarkably unremarkable. I can't remember. It really wasn't anything special if you're looking for what I would call more charismatic manifestations. It's very simple, but also very deep and very profound. And I found myself in the, in the middle of, of the revival this outpouring that was happening, uh, I came to a place of being very sad and very angry. And uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, I had to leave in the middle of it when it really peaked. And I had to, I won't get into the details of why I had to leave or where I had to go. Um, but it wasn't far. Um, and I had to leave on a Sunday night. And, and there was probably... 30,000 people in the town of 5,000 people. And, and it was wherever you stepped, you could sense. For me, it's the only time in my life ever, anywhere, that I have sensed the tangible presence of God over that long a time. It wasn't just like, wow, that was a really cool worship service where God seemed to be moving, but it was days of like, man, what is happening? And I would walk into it, out of my house and into it, and you'd begin to just feel the depth and the weight and the um, and something that would bring you to like tears and or joy, and and you were seeing things happening, and people were ministering to one another. There, there over the course of the I can't remember thirteen days or whatever. There was there wasn't a fight. It's like maybe a hundred thousand people came into town, and, and there wasn't a fight. You know, it, it just was crazy how 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 much the Lord was doing in that time. And I knew when I was having to leave, I said to Carol, "Look, I just want to go walk around." campus and around town and there's people everywhere and there's worship going on and there's prayer happening and people are getting saved just you know standing in line and people are getting delivered from things they, they brought baggage with them you could see like this is what you could see and it wasn't even like deep spiritual discernment you could the picture was like being at an airport and you would just see people with all their bags you know and it's like they were just dumping their bags you could see it happening and I was like how do you leave this 
And I was telling Carol, I was like, I feel, I feel angry that I have to go. I feel sad. I was weepy. And I, I still, it makes me weepy to even think about it. And, and I said, I just want to walk around one more time. And I did. And then we walked home and I got in the car and I left. And it doesn't take long to get from this little town out to the highway that connects you to the real world. And, um, and as I was driving in these backcountry roads and I was praying and uh, I, I wasn't really praying as much as I was complaining. That's a form of prayer. It really is. I mean, don't lie to God. I was lamenting sadness. I was lamenting and my anger. I was complaining. Jeremiah does a lot of this, right? The prophets are real before God. Are, are you not real before God when you speak to him, when you pray to him? I was complaining. I was saying, I don't think it's right that I'm being made to leave this. I'm not happy about it. And I'm not even really happy with you. Uh, that's pretty, like, don't lie to God, but I wouldn't really recommend that you, you know, he can handle it. He can handle a lot better than I can. Um, and I felt like the Lord said as I was driving, Jeff, revival travels. You're five miles away from home and you've lost all that I'm doing there. That's you. That's not me. And I felt like the Lord said to me, this is the weirdest analogy, but it'll, it'll be something you'll remember. I, like, I feel like the Lord's been saying to me, just be simple. You know, where I go and where I speak, just be more simple. So this is what I felt like the Lord, the picture he gave to me. I felt like he said, revival's like COVID. Like it'll... It'll travel. <laughs> if you got it, you'll get somewhere and you get around people and, and the people who are susceptible will be infected by it and then it'll travel with them. And I feel like I'm a long-haul revivalist. Like, I honestly feel like it's in my DNA. I think this is in the DNA of, of your pastor. I think it's more in his DNA than probably anybody I know. Not in some sort of weird, manipulative, manufactured way, but in a hunger. The people who live in my town are long-haul revivalists who aren't surprised when it comes. And they pray for it, and they expect it, and they steward it well when it does. And so the Lord was saying to me, I think, it, I think it'll travel if you'll just check your attitude. I'll, I'll have you know, the place that I was going very much so needed to experience, the, the people that I was going to very much needed to be touched by God and to experience this. And I had about three and a half hours or so for my spirit to get right with God that that could happen. And so since then, where I've been traveling, I feel like this is a word that the Lord's been giving me. It's a simple word that, will, that I think can usher us. If you have any interest or any willingness or any desire to go deeper in your walk with God, and I don't assume that you do. I know that it's easy to say that you do, but I don't really assume that you do because if you do, then it's kind of like, you know, saying you want to be a doctor, you know, you're in school, and like, I'm going to be a doctor, and you're getting like C's right now. You know, you can say you want it, but you're not on the path to it. So if you want something deeper in God, if you want a life in God that truly is remarkable, set apart, noticeable by the people around you, then there is a path to that life in God. And if you're on that path, then the question only is, you know, really, who are you becoming? It isn't so much who are you right in this moment. God has a plan for your life that he will work out in his time as he wills. I was just talking to Asaph about 
a mutual a family member of his who God is, I believe, holding up. And I don't care what people say about this man. He has, he's been struggling with cancer. I believe the man, that God will hold this man up until he's done with him, right? God can do with us what he wants to do with us. But there is a part on our side to either participate or not participate with this. And so, um, you know, Brian, I know, shared this when he came back, but revival broke out of, uh, of Asbury, went to another college campus, and in a religion class at this other college campus of freshmen in college, so basically your guy's age-ish, says to a professor in the middle of the class, you know, they were talking about what's happening at Asbury, and she says, you know, I have a question for you. Um, what's going on there? Why not here at our campus, and why not now? And he didn't have an answer. He thought about it, and he didn't have an answer. I don't know how to answer that question. And so she raised her hand again and said, well, then why are we here in class? Why don't we go to the chapel and worship and pray? And he didn't have an answer. <laughs> and so what did they do? They suspended class and went to the chapel and prayed. And then revival broke out, and, uh, it, or something breaks out in that university. People from Jacksonville, people that you know, went up there. A kid, at least one kid that, that I know, that many of you know, I think, got touched by God, another of his friends got saved there, came back, and now they have a young adult gathering happening here in Jacksonville. Like, it, 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 it's like COVID, it'll spread, it goes places. And I really wanna bring all of that into the context of one single, simple verse. Won't be hard for you to remember. I do believe that if you go to lunch today and your server says, what did you do? I went to church, what did they preach about? You'll be able to answer the question with a single word, consecrate or consecration, consecration. That's the single word I'm gonna want you to remember. It's a big word, I'll break it down for you. It comes out of Joshua chapter three, verse five, where, where the instruction is given to the, the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, and I wanna make it very clear to you, this is a story that comes from Israel, for Israel, this is about Israel. It's about their history. It's not about our history, it's about their history. It's primarily for them as the apple of God's eye because it's like, if, you're, if the, the wages go on vacation, they have a story, they can go back and share it, it's their story, but it might have great application for us. We are grafted into this story. This story, the story of Israel is the foundation of the gospel, and when you bring this into, the, into, into Christ, you begin to see the redemptive nature of God's activity all throughout, Genesis to Revelation, and you see it here. But in this story, the, the, the Jewish people who've been wandering in the land for 40 years None of the people really, except for a couple who left Egypt, are in the group anymore. It's a real significant word for you fathers. If you want to enter into the promise that God has for you and for your family, you as a father need to be obedient, lest he leave you behind, and he'll take your children in without you. And so this is the word. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God's going to do amazing things among you. Now, I want to just, before I even break this down at all, just ask you a simple question. What's your part and what's God's part? Your part is consecrate yourself. God's part is do amazing things. Do you like that deal? How would you like it if it was reversed? God said, I'll consecrate myself, check. Now, show me some amazing, wonderful things. I wouldn't like that deal so much. I don't think I would do very well at this. I want to just give you a real simple definition of consecration. It's not biblical, theological. It's just kind of a simple way for me to remember it. I wish I had something to illustrate this with more than, I don't know, 
I'll use my phone. Do you see this phone? It's just a phone. It's just an object. It's neither good nor evil. It's just a thing. It's just a common thing, right? Probably every, does every one of you have one of these? Most of you do? Sorry, Maximus, one day. When you're about 24, usually you'll get one. So most of you have one of these or a device like this. It's just a device. It's neither good nor evil. It's just a device. It's just a thing, and right? It just sits here, and it, it's, just a, it's just a phone. But if this phone were to be set apart somehow, like over here, for some holy purpose, some fully devoted purpose to God, like it was, I don't know, it was just the holiest phone that it lived on earth. It was just completely and entirely used for, the, for, for playing worship songs and declaring the word of God, just reading scripture, the only thing you could use this phone for. Or if the phone rang, you could listen to it, it'd be a prophetic word for you. You know, it's just, it's just a consecrated phone. Do you get the, how, what that means? It's not just like your phone or like any phone. It's not just a common phone. It's a, it's a set-apart phone. You get this? Do you know the opposite of this, of consecration? Desecration. Do you know what it means to desecrate something? It means to take something that's common and to use it for some other purpose. So let's say all I do is look at porn on my phone. And I, and, I, and I go and I, and I call people and I talk to people in inappropriate ways and I do evil things with this phone. Then am I, am I, is it just a common phone anymore? Is it set apart for the purposes of God? No, it's been desecrated. It's been, to, to consecrate means to make sacred, to make holy, to devote to the holiness. To desecrate means to remove any possibility of holiness from it, to use for evil purposes. You get it? Do you, does that fit? Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? Now, apply it to people. There's a front row of, where are the men? Where are the boys? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, guys. One, two, three, four, five, six. Just, I don't even know what guys traveling. Just a herd of guys over here. Just common guys. Grant, you want to be common? What do you want to be in your life? You want to be holy. You want to be consecrated. That means you're not going to be able to run with the pack your whole life. Because the pack is going to choose. 90% of the people in this room have chosen common. Maybe less. Maybe some percentage have chosen desecration. Nobody actively really chooses this. Somebody says, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to desecrate myself. Well, I shouldn't say nobody, but rarely, rarely do people do this. I doubt many people here in the room do that. But do you know when we don't obey, discipleship is obedience more than knowledge. It's doing what God says to do. And when we do the opposite of what he says to do, we're actually not even just remaining in this common middle ground. We're actually desecrating ourselves. We're, we're, we're allowing our lives to be used in some really horribly less than way. And it just breaks the heart of God. And so what he is calling everyone in this room to is a consecrated life, a life set apart for him. It's not hard to do to consecrate yourselves. It's not easy to live in though. This is why Paul says, present yourself as living sacrifices daily. Because we are not like the sacrifices of old where you're laid on an altar and you're laid open and you're, the aroma rises to God. We get up off the altar and we go live our lives and then we consecrate ourselves at 9 a.m. and at 9.30 we're in traffic and we've completely 
move to the other end of the spectrum. Do you see the spectrum? Can you apply that in your life right now? What kind of grade do you give yourself? I give myself about a C. Honestly, that's the grade I would give myself. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe that's a, a hard... Who are consecrated people? I know what you're thinking. Pastors and missionaries. Right? Those are the consecrated ones, right? No. No, their lives aren't any different than yours. Consecration isn't a matter of what you do for a living or some sort of vocation or title. Consecration is a matter of your heart tied to the heart of God and, and saying, God, I'm willing to be removed from the pack. I'm willing to stand out. I'm willing to separate myself, myself from the common and to be set apart for something that is wholly devoted to you. And I give myself about a C in that. I think I'm really good at doing it on a daily basis, and I think I'm really lousy at living it out throughout the whole day. A lot easier for me to tell you that when I'm not the senior pastor standing here because, you know, but, I, but if you want to talk about that, I'll gladly talk to you about that if you want to be real. So, can I give you just, I'm, I'm thinking, Brian, how, you, how I hear you say a lot when I get to tune in. I'm going to go ahead and keep this message short. I make no such promise. <laughs> Um, but I will try to keep it as short as I possibly can so as not to destroy the momentum. We have ice cream to give away today, no? Darn. We have ice cream to eat today. Dang it. So let me give you a little background, and then, we'll, and then I'm just going to land this. I, I want to land this in a very simple way, because here's my belief. My belief is God wants to take you as a family, a individual family, a, a, a certain tribe that lives in this city. He wants to take you from where you are across a metaphorical spiritual river into a place of promise where it's deeper and better than where you presently live. And he wants to do this with you together. But to do it, to get across this place where you are to the place he wants you to be, you have to consecrate yourselves. And if you will not do this, then you have to be left behind. That's the hard word. You can't go if you will remain where you are. And so here's some background. Israel, if you, if you guys went through the book of Exodus, I believe. Exodus, right? And so you remember the Exodus account. I'm sure you have that you know, fine detail. But you know, Israel is in Egypt, about to enter the promised land. And uh, when God takes them into the, the land, it's by virtue of a miracle. They, you know, God loves to repeat. He loves to set up patterns, so milestones, so you'll recognize them. So he, he did a water miracle. They crossed a body of water. And so he brings them to another body of water here in Joshua 3. Now, he doesn't do, always do it the same way, but he likes these patterns. So he, they cross the Red Sea by miracle. They get into the, into the, into the desert and because of a whole lot of issues, a lot of complication, all on the side of, of Israel and their inability to be simply obedient to what God's called them to do and for grumbling and for basically putting together a little committee that every church has called the Back to Egypt Committee, that it cost them a lot of time. It could have been a simple trip. And, and it cost them, you know, 40 years and, and a lot of people who were who buried in the, in the wilderness. And they spend 40 years wandering in the desert, and they're now, in this passage, at the edge of the water. I think it's a great name for a church, Water's Edge. In fact, it's 
right here on the edge of the creek. Uh, and that's where they are. And, and just to give you some context of how this story develops, if you go back to their time in Egypt, what were they in Egypt? They're slaves. This is how they were characterized. This is their identity. Whether they accepted that for themselves or not, over the course of their, you know, 400 plus years, this is, you, how could you help yourself? This is who you become. And, and they, they, what they knew of themselves is that they were in captivity, they were, they were under oppression, that they were, they were bound by the, the, you know, the chains of slavery. They had the Passover experience, the Exodus, the Red Sea. They've been delivered from their enemies, and now <clears throat> they, they understand deliverance. They understand that that's a past reality for them. They're no longer identified by their slavery. Now, what are they when we enter into this? They're wanderers. 40 years of wandering. That's all they basically have done is they've wandered. God moves, they move. God stops, they stop. That's pretty much all they know at this point. Except for two people, none of them are alive to even give account for what it looks like on the other side of the, of the Jordan. So all they know is this, this God's provision, manna and quail and, 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 a, and a desert existence. The, pretty much their entire existence now is characterized by uncertainty. They don't know what's going to happen on any given day other than the way that their food will be provided and so forth. They don't know if they're going to pick up and move or if they're going to stay where they are. Depends upon, you know, what's going on in that day. But the whole idea with wandering is the real, the point of it is just to waste time. That's really all you're trying to do is just let the the day get by. Any of you ever lived there? I would suggest to you that most of us in Christ live in this place today. We've been brought out of Egypt, brought out of hell, but not in promise, not in the fullness of promise. Somewhere in between, in this place of kind of sort of a lot of uncertainty and wondering, is there more for me in life, God? You have more for me. Is there more you want me to do? Is there more you want to give me? Is there more you want to show me? Am I living where you want me to live? Am I doing what you want me to do? Am I living into my marriage the right way? Am I being single like you want me to be single? Am I being a, am I being a, a good uh, child to my parents? Am I being a good parent to my children? I mean, these are... If you're, if you're at all living in Christ, these are the sorts of existential questions you ask yourself over and over on a daily basis. God, am I living like you'd like me to live? And I would suggest to you that most of us are marked by wandering and grumbling. And a back to Egypt mentality of like, you know, I can tell you for 100%, there's been many times in my walk with Jesus where I've said, you know, Lord, I remember the days when I didn't really walk with you and there's a whole lot of stuff that was easier then. I, you, I, again, I'm not imposing this prayer on you. I'm just telling you, I get real with God and I'm like, you know, I, the stuff that I used to do that I don't do anymore, I love doing that stuff. I didn't stop doing it because I didn't like doing it. I stopped doing it because I knew I couldn't do that and be, be in you. But I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's a lot easier. I suffer now like the world suffers, you know. If I get sick, I, if I get cut, I bleed, you know. I, I still suffer, but I also suffer for what I believe. You know, I have friends who reject me, family members who reject me for what I believe. You know, it's, I'm not saying I'm persecuted. I'm just saying there's lots of parts of my life that was easier then, and I'll sometimes tell him I liked certain parts of my life that I really can't even touch anymore now. And he's like, yeah, that was back in Egypt. And so these people knew how to be slaves in Egypt. They didn't know how to be princes and princesses. They didn't know how to be royalty. 
They didn't know how to live into their destiny. So this is where they were living. And now they've come to the water's edge and the promised land is within sight. And God is saying, it's time for you to enter into your actual destiny to not be slaves or wanderers, but to be conquerors and victorious people. To be a family that's marked by victory and joy and plenty. But in order to do that, to get ready, get set, and go, you have to do your job. Your job is consecrate yourself. And he says, I'll do my job. My job, God's job is amazing things. It's, it's very simple. And so this is what God says. And this is just, again, one verse is leading into it. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Verses three and four, the Lord gives some instruction. He says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. They're like, check, we've been doing that for 40 years. We know how to do that. Then you'll know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 1,000 yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. And so God's given very precise instructions of how they're going to get from where they are to where he wants them to be. And I think what I glean from this in terms of my life and getting living a consecrated life, is that I don't really think God's too keen or interested so much in me asking him to bless my plan as much as he wants me to live into his plan. And he will make it simple, guys. I assure you, if you are confused about God's plan for your life, you're making it too complicated. He will make it simple. When you see the ark move, Move with it, but stay back from it. Don't get too near to it. And then, and then it's going to be clear for you what to do. And what he says is, you know, the priests are going to go out ahead of you. They're going to go into the water. And when they go into the water, uh, there's going to be a miracle. The amazing things that we're talking about are going to start happening. And so what does that mean? That means that this life of consecration in, in the context of a group, of a family, requires that there be people amongst you who are leaders. For sure, that should mean your pastors and your elders, but it doesn't, it's not limited to them. It should be the people who are willing to lead in faith have to go out ahead of you and put their feet in the water. If they don't do it, you never will. Unless you're one of those leaders. And if you're one of those leaders, take your shoes off, don't give them to me. Roll your, roll your pants up and get ready to step into the water. Because this is what life looks like in family. The leaders go out ahead. This is the way God's ordered things. And they go and they set their feet in the water. Now there's a problem, not a problem, but there's a part to this that I think you have to see in order to get why this is so important. I told you God likes to do things in patterns, but he's also creative. He doesn't do it the same way. Do you remember how he, how he the miracle of the Red Sea, what he did? What did he do? He split it. Right? So half the water this way, half the water that way, you walk through it. It's not what he does with the Jordan. The Jordan's at flood stage. I've seen the Jordan at the spot around flood stage. It oftentimes is not that hard to kind of pass through, but at flood stage, the right time of the year when it's, when it's the, the heavy rains, it's, is, this is a big, big deal. And at the point they're supposed to cross, it's at flood stage, the word tells us, and he says, here's, what I'm gonna, here's the way it's going to happen. I'm going to go to the city 30 miles north and I'm going to heap up the water there. So in other words, 
this is the spot right here where they're going to cross the Jordan. And then all the way up here, imagine in your mind, 30 miles later, that there's this spot here and God says, boom, I'm going to drive a wedge in the river right here and then heap up the water so no more water can pass. Got it? So no more water's passing now. Boom, water stopped. What happens to 30 miles of water? You can speak. I know Brian doesn't let you, but I like it. It's got to keep going. How long does it take 30 miles of water to move through? Even if it's ripping through, does it take five seconds? Probably takes a little while, doesn't it? And so what happens to the leaders when they're called by God to take the Ark of the Covenant and to wade out into the middle of the river at flood stage as a demonstration of faith for the whole community that's called to consecrate themselves and go into promise? What happens to the leaders? They go over their heads, I think. And I'm telling you, I think this is what ministry often looks like, is your leaders are willing to go out into the water and to get down under the water with the ark raised up over their head, and maybe they're tagging each other every once in a while so they can jump up and catch a breath, and then they tag back in and hold the... Hold. This is what it's, I think, what leadership looks like in the body of Christ. That you're called to get in, to get over your head, to raise up the presence of God so that the people can see. They begin to see the miracle begin to happen in your life. Well, Brian's still... Breathing, barely, but he's breathing. Leaders are still holding fast in faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Look, if God breaks a promise, then stop following him. That's my attitude. The day I see God break a promise, I'll stop following him. He's a God of promise. And so you watch the leaders, the leaders begin to see the miracle happen. And then something begins to happen. God says, as soon as you see the miracle happen, he tells them, this is a really important part. He says, you know, you need to set up some stones right in the middle. Even though you're not going to be able to see them, you need to do this so you'll remember. He continually tells the people of Israel, he continually tells the body of Christ that we are called to remember what he's done. It's the most powerful way for you. The two most powerful tools for your endurance and faith are remembering what he's done and remember that he's coming. Maranatha. That's why you're named Maranatha. He came and he's coming. You can remember what he's done. You can look forward to what he's going to do. And what does he tell them to do as soon as they get across the river? Consecrate yourself some more. (laughs) I love it. He says, look, this is a difficult journey. And some of you uttered some words crossing across that maybe you moved from consecration back over. You slid into desecration a little bit. So let's get you back right again. And you need to do some more consecration. Very first thing that happens. And so, do you have all of that context? Yeah? No? So I want to just then center on what does it mean. Just how I want to land is just to talk about what does it mean to consecrate yourself. What's that look like? If I can't make it make sense to... You know, the youngest person that's in the room here, I don't, I don't know that it's worth talking about. I, I don't know that I can do this well, but I really want, it's my aim to make it concrete and simple enough that anybody who's here could understand what does it mean for me? And I think the first thing I'd tell you is, is that you don't have to do this alone. We've so lost the significance of the culture in which 
this powerful, supernatural, abiding word was given where it's not communism, but it's community. And you do not have to go through a process of sanctification and consecration on your own that we, we, we botched. I can tell you if you're, a, if you're a man and you grew up in the promise keepers era, we botched the word accountability. We really, we really blew it with accountability because mostly what we do is we just beat each other up and then we hide. You know, so the last place in the world you're ever going to come and be honest about the stuff that's going on in your life is your accountability group. Maybe you do that when you go to the bar, but not, not, with, your, not with your buddies because they'll, you know, if you tell them what you're struggling with, I mean, they, they, you know, they might judge you. This is a problem that we have in the church. We should be the place where we're most prone to going, hey, man, it's not working well for me. Here's why. And then, you know, Matt says to me, man, I know you better. This is not who you are, Jeff. In the name of Jesus, this isn't who you are. And we need to, we need to I, I, I'm going I'm, to, if, if I got to move out of my house and move into your house to, you know, to, to, to see you restored back into right relationship with God, this is what it's going to look like. You don't have to do this alone. I want to also say to you, this doesn't mean legal perfection. Consecration is, and sanctification is much more about maturity. It's about who are you becoming? Where were you yesterday? Where are you today? If you were to draw a line depicting where you were a year ago in Christ and where you are today, or where you were five years ago or 10 years ago or where you are today, or where you were this morning and where you are now, what does that line look like? And if who you're becoming, as you connect a couple of the dots of the line, is, is, is up and to the right, you know, like you're a rising stock, that's a, that's, that's a fantastic thing. That's the picture of biblical discipleship that we're all going for. Now, that doesn't mean in every, any given moment you're, you're getting an A, but that's the idea is that you're growing in Christ. Are you with me on that? Now, I don't want to let anybody off the hook and act like that's, you know, well, look, don't, don't really worry about 29 days of the month as long as on the last day of the month you just kind of make right with God. Some of you do that. You live in the yo-yo, and that's not, if that's the case, then in the name of Jesus, stop, separate yourself from that life today. So let me just give you some ideas of what it means. These are not, I've already given you one definition, which basically is to set yourself apart for the exclusive use of God. If this phone could be set apart for the exclusive use of worship and declaring biblical content, it would be a better phone. Agreed? If you could be set apart for the exclusive use of God, would you be a better you? This is part of what it means. Do you know the people of Israel, this was probably much more so than for us today in the body of Christ, marked by ceremony and ritual. There actually was a whole process of, of preparing, particularly once they cross the Jordan, they get into the place of conquest and there's war. There's a whole process of, of consecration to prepare yourself to be able to serve God. You know, very, very technical and orderly in order to be able to do this. And so we've lost a lot of that, but I will tell you, we have a very, we have a fantastic and straightforward and clear clarion means by which we can enter into a life of consecration. Do you know what it's called? Baptism. If you don't know Jesus, you need to meet him today. You need to set yourself apart from the world by 
going under the waters of baptism and dying to the life that you've known and rising again into this new life in Christ and being received into a family of consecration whose desire will be to help you live the life God desires for you to live. This is the primary means of entrance into the life of consecration that God gives us. It means to be fully devoted to his service. It means to, uh, we sang about all hail King Jesus. Do you know what that means when you say all hail King Jesus? We don't really live this way that well as Americans because we don't have kings. You know, we have presidents and, and elected officials who we, you know, mostly don't agree to like together. And, and so when we talk about a king and enthroning a king, that means for him to be, like there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make him more king. <laughs> like there's nothing you're going to do to add to his lordship. He's not growing and maturing himself. He, who he is at his return, he's exactly that now. But what you need to do for yourself to be consecrated, to see him do amazing things, is you have to dethrone yourself. You have a throne in your life that you sit on. And what you've, prob <clears throat> excuse me, what you've probably asked him to do is you've asked him to come into the center of your life and to bless your throne. And he doesn't want to do that. What he wants you to do is he wants you to take that throne and throw it into the fire pit and come to the center of his life and bow down at his throne and say, whatever it is that you have for me, I pledge my allegiance to you as the king and I enthrone you on my life for eternity. <laughs> That's consecration. It means the complete surrender of all self-interest. It means giving God veto power. I like that one. Do you know what veto power is, guys? It means like if, you know, all of you guys decide to take a vote, who, how many of you want to go and get, how many of you think it's a good idea, after church, every one of you in the front row that I'll take you and buy you whatever you want at the mall. Food, clothes, whatever. How many of you want to think that's a good idea? Vote Yes. Okay, I say no. I'm not doing it because I have veto power. You can't make me do that. And God has veto power. You can say, God, I know what's best for my life. It's this, 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 and this. And he says, no. If you say, I don't agree with you. And because I don't agree with you and because I want to be with that guy or I want to go and do this thing or I want to, you know, spend my money this way or whatever it may be and he says, no, that's not what I want you to do. When you choose to do it, what you are, what you are saying to him is, is that I will not live a consecrated life. I will for myself decide what's best for me and that is to me one of the purest and cleanest forms of desecration. To say to the king of glory, I know better than you what's best for my life. Surrendering all of you to all of him. It's, it is consecration is the simple recognition that every second of your time, every ounce of your energy, and every penny of your money is a gift from God, and it's for God. And so let me just land with a couple of steps of how you do this. Well, one, you've got to separate yourself from the common things. Grant, it's what the point I was making with you earlier. I'm not saying these guys are bad guys, but if they were... Or if they were just dudes that just want to be common. And you know that God's calling you to more. As much as you love them, you would have to say, guys, can't, can't hang with you. Love you, but I can't, I can't stay here. Guys, I'm not speaking that over any of you. You're all called by God to live consecrated lives. But you get the point, right? 
You have to, there, there's an active, your part is to actively decide to God, if you want more for me or from me, then I'll separate myself from anything that's common in my life. There's a lot of good things. There are a lot of things that aren't necessarily evil that you waste your lives on, that we waste our lives on. You know, Netflix and Merlot. You know, if that's your nightly pattern, you know, that's how you kind of spend every night. You know, then, then it's nothing evil or wrong with those things. But if you're like, you know, I wish I had more time to serve God. And you're like, God, I'd love to give you this time to go deep with you. But this, you know, 17th season with 75 episodes of this show and that bottle of Merlot are calling my name. Then that's, that's, a, that's, that's at least just electing the common. So you separate yourself from the common things, one. And you also throw off that everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. If you have sin in your life, you have to deal with that. The primary reason you'll get left on this side of the Jordan and not cross over to the other side is because you're unwilling to confront sin. It's not so difficult. It's not finding the common things and going, is secular music good or bad? It's not so much that as it is the stuff that you know that is sin in your life that you continue to entertain on a daily basis and you haven't thrown it out of your house. That's the stuff. And so what do you do to deal with this? It's simple. It's as simple and it's as age old as, as, as time. God didn't change this with Jesus. He just brought it into perfection and made it much simpler for us with a focal point being the cross. It's simple though. You repent. What does repentance mean? It, it, it literally 100% means to, if you're going this direction that you do a 180 and you go the other way. But it also has an emotional component. I mean, if, if one of you guys, if your parents tell you to stop doing something you're wanting to do and you really want to do it, you might stop doing it. But inside of your heart, you know what you might be thinking? I, I, I'm only doing this until until I can make a decision for myself. The only reason I'm doing this is because you have authority over me. But truth of the matter is, I hate your decision. That's, if this is what we say to God, I'll stop doing what I'm doing, but honestly, I despise you for it. That's not real repentance. Repentance also includes godly sorrow. Lord, I, I, I don't know why I was even doing that thing. If, it's, if that's sin, I turn from it and I reject it in the name of Jesus and your sadness is my sadness. That's repentance. And then confession, it's so simple, guys. It's twofold. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to God, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, consecrate us from all unrighteousness. If we simply say, Jesus, here's the areas in my life that I'm screwing up, The Bible says that he's faithful. It means he'll show up and he's just. It means he will, he will be a good judge and he will, write, he'll, he'll take that as though it never happened. He'll, he'll, he'll make you right with him. And he'll, not only that, he'll clean you up from the effects of it and bring you back into right relationship. This is the vertical part of confession. But there's also a horizontal part of confession. You know what that says? James chapter five, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do you know that your sin makes you sick? And some of you are struggling from sin sickness. 
And the remedy for this is to confess your sins to one another. That does not mean you have to stand up here with a microphone. Confessing, this is one of the greatest abuses in the body of Christ, that we believe when somebody fails, be they a leader or just somebody sitting in the pews, that they have to post on the internet everything they've done wrong for it to be true confession. Confession, confessing to one another means you find some people who are wise, who are godly, who are shepherding, maybe your parents, maybe your pastors, maybe uh, some friends that you know really well, and you say, look, particularly if it's somebody you've hurt, you go to them, and you confess your sin, and they pray for you, and you experience healing from your sin sickness. That's all it takes. Repent and confess. Devote yourself to God, and he'll take you across the other side. And I believe that what we have in the body of Christ and in Christ Jesus is we have the opportunity to be grafted into a story so deep and so beautiful as we find in Joshua 3 that we, are, we live at the water's edge. This is, where I, this is the picture I see when I close my eyes and I pray for the church. And I'm not just talking about the church in the West versus the global South. I'm talking about just the church. I see a picture of people who are gathered at the edge of the water waiting. And I see Jesus looking over that saying, the mandate's still the same. Consecrate yourselves and I'll do amazing things for you. And I don't know how God does this. If he has a ferry boat and he just, you know, is, you know, okay, that group consecrated themselves. I'll take them across. I don't know what it looks like. I just know that if you have desire individually or as a congregation to see God do amazing things among you, then there's people that are here today and you hear my voice and you know who you are and you know exactly what you need to do. You're not living a life that's consecrated to God. At best, it's common. At worst, it's fully desecrated. And you need to repent of your sin and confess today, here. And leave in right relationship with God, healed of your sin sickness, and see what amazing things God does amongst us. So, worship team, I want to ask you two questions just to close. Why not here? Why not now? Revival isn't cool. It's devastating. It usually involves snot. Seriously, it involves messy sorts of like, this is it. I know. And, and, and there, uh, right now, some of you, you're going, I know he's talking to me. I know he's talking to me. He's not a particularly good preacher. I know that. You don't have to tell me. He's not particularly charismatic in any way. But I know that God is speaking to me through this fool. And I know that the devil is telling me, just get out of here. You know, just go get lunch. And I'm not trying to... Imp- Put, heap guilt on you to say, if you don't do this today, you're going to hold this whole church up. But I am wanting to heap conviction on you. Conviction's fine because there's hope in it. And the hope in it is this, if you'll just hesitate, hear my voice and hesitate and don't get up and leave. Just consider whether God wouldn't want to do something today in your life that would set you on a different course than you've ever known. 
I'm a big believer in getting up and moving. It makes me old school. I know that I'm getting old. I don't have to be told that. I know it. I know, though, that I believe in the depths of my heart the most significant things that have happened in my life have been when I've been willing to get up and move from where I am as a prophetic act to represent what I'm asking God to do in the spiritual realm. And so I'm asking you to stand now, if you're able. As Brian plays. Are there, we have elders that are here, right? If, you're, if, you're, if you have a prayer team, the prayer team, could you come forward and just stand up here? Prayer team, I'm going to ask you to be bold in the name of Jesus, and if you have issues you need to deal with it, deal with it first. Don't pray for anybody else and put your sin on them. That's awkward. It's a lot easier when you don't have to stay here every week. Anybody else who needs to do business with God as we sing and we close, I I really want to invite you. I've watched this happen over and over and over again. I was telling Brian, I was in Massachusetts and I did a wedding on the spot with a couple who were living in sin. And uh, there are remedies. Right here and right now, there are remedies for things that you think you're stuck in. You think you're stuck wandering for the rest of your life and there are remedies and God will do amazing things today and take you across today if you will do your part. And so I'm asking as we sing that you would come forward as the Spirit of God leads you, not as Jeff leads you. No manipulation. You would kneel at this altar, you would stand here, or you would even have the boldness to confess your sins to one of these people and ask that they would pray with you that you would be healed. And you would walk out of these doors a new person with wet feet and a deep desire to see God move in our midst. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name for a collective, consecrated body of believers, brothers and sisters, properly aligned under the headship of Yeshua with a willingness to lay aside the desecrated parts of our lives, the common parts of our lives, that we might be separated. And wholly devoted to you. The aim of our life isn't legal perfection, but a maturity that would say, Lord, what I want is every day, every moment, every ounce of my energy, every dollar of my money, every thought that I have, every word that comes from my mouth, to be holy and pleasing. In the name of Jesus, come forward as you feel led.